field. So look for those. So we're going to continue reading uh, and looking at the Gospel of Mark. And we're watching Jesus as he walks and moves forward um, in the Gospel of Mark. And so we've come to one of those sections of Scripture where we see some surprising things happening. Uh, especially when it comes to the law. And we see a lot of that happening today. And, and so I was going back and I, I found some laws that are on the books right now that we would think, wow, really? Like, that's actually a law? So I want to go over a couple of those with you. The first one is in Georgia. And uh, in case you didn't know this, you cannot eat fried chicken with a fork and a knife. And you go, oh, Travis, that was probably a gimmick and a ploy. But it's actually on the books. And back in 2009, a man was actually arrested for using a fork and a knife to eat his fried chicken. Also, in Minnesota, any contest in which you try to capture a greased pig <laughs> is illegal. In normal Illinois, it is against the law to make a face at a dog. In New Hampshire, it is illegal to carry away or collect seaweed at night. And one that really speaks to us today with everything that is going on, if you are 16 years or older, older in the states of Florida and New York, you cannot cover your entire face. And we, we, we joke at some of these, we laugh at some of these, and here's the thing, uh, if we didn't laugh at them, um, we'd probably cry with many of the things that are going on and happening right now. And probably... The one that speaks to me the most is I'm so thankful that I am not a pastor in Nicholas County, West Virginia, because in Nicholas County, West Virginia, no member of the clergy is allowed to tell jokes or humorous stories from the pulpit. Now, we may laugh, we may groan at some of these outdated laws because many of them seem absolutely uh, ridiculous and absurd to us. But if we were to list all of the rules and expectations and laws that are on the books in some churches today, we'd probably stop laughing pretty quick. I mean, most of these religious regulations, they're not really written down, but we know that they are law because that's just the way we do it inside the church. And, and that is one of those things that makes me groan the most. And I'll, I'll use it as, from time to time, just having fun with different people. And people will say, Travis, well, we should try this. Or Travis, we should do this. Well, Travis, why do we do this? And, and I'll just look at them and say, well, that's because it's always the way that it's been done. We have to be careful, though, that we don't become too legalistic. You see, inside the church, legalism can be defined as a strict adherence to the law, specifically as it relates to our faith. A legalist is one who believes that performance is the way to gain favor with God. It's a religious set of do's and don'ts. And as long as you follow all of these rules, then you're going to get into heaven. And if you break those rules, you're out of favor with God. But most importantly, for most people, you're out of favor with God. The church. So let's look at some different observations. What observations, before we jump into the text, what are some observations that we can make about legalism? Number one, we tend to think of others as legalistic, but not us. I mean, I'm not legalistic. It's you. It's everyone else that's legalistic, but not me. You see, we don't like it when someone else's sin smells different than ours. 
And we have very little tolerance for people who sin differently than we do. Number two, legalism can take a vibrant faith and make it dull and lifeless. We have to be so, so careful. It can evaporate enthusiasm. It can jettison joy. It stifles spirituality. Instead of finding freedom through Christ, many believers are, are living with great burdens. We, we read this, if we go to what the Apostle Paul says in Galatians, he just digs into this and he really just jumps on those new believers, those new Gentile Christians who, what Paul says, is following a gospel that's not even a gospel at all. We have to be so careful that we don't get bogged down with these rules of, of, of do's and don'ts. Number three, legalism makes us narrow and divisive. Legalism produces self-righteousness and, and, and judgment. In other words, well, everyone just needs to be like me. I mean, that's, that's what we get. We, we don't like diversity. We don't like it when people try to do their own thing in the church because we all have to be alike. And that really short circuits the work of grace. So we have to be so careful with trying to say that everyone needs to be just like us. Everybody has to be Stafford County Christian Church. Everyone has to be just like this. But we have so much grace and so much freedom in Christ. And as long as we're following what scripture says, that's the important thing. And number four, legalism makes it impossible for people to see Jesus. There is nothing that pushes a non-Christian away faster than a list of regulations, of rules, of do's and don'ts. Some of us inadvertently portray Jesus as this drill sergeant instead of a delightful savior. So when we dig into our scripture this morning, when we dig into what Mark chapter 2 verses 23 through 28 really says, it's about Sabbath worship and keeping that Sabbath day holy. Now, this was a big deal. Sabbath worship was a really big deal in the Old Testament. Did you know that at the time of Jesus, Jewish leaders had established 39 Sabbath clarifications? So there were plenty of rules about what to do when we read the law in the Old Testament. Well, the Pharisees said, we need to put some other rules and regulations on top of all of that. Let's clarify that. You know, with, with each having different subdivisions, these 39 clarifications ended up becoming 1,500 prohibitions. Here, here's just a couple of them that I want to share with you. These are actually in the law. You, you can look these up if you would like to. According to the Jewish leaders, it was unlawful to kill a flea that lands on your arm because you would be guilty of hunting on the Sabbath. If a man, if a man's ox falls into a ditch, they're allowed to pull the ox out of the ditch. But if the man falls into the ditch, the man has to stay there until the Sabbath is over. You could dip your radish into the salt, but you could only leave it there for a certain amount of time because if you left the radish inside of the salt too long, you were pickling the radish and that was considered to be work. Here, here's the thing. The Pharisees actually had discussions of how long it took for a radish to be pickled. You, you could only eat an egg 
on the Sabbath if you killed the chicken for working on the Sabbath. It was okay to spit on a rock on the Sabbath, but you couldn't spit on the ground because if you spit on the ground, you could make mud and mud became mortar and that was work on the Sabbath. Now, here's the thing. I know that these sound absolutely ridiculous because if a flea lands on my arm, I'm going to smack it. I'm going to kill it because I don't want it multiplying and becoming an infestation on all of the rest of my animals that you may hear during this recording. And I just want you to know that if you hear these during the message, I'm sorry, um, Lily usually tries to make an appearance at some point or another on the camera. So far she hasn't, but we'll see what happens. You see, the Pharisees attack Jesus six times about Sabbath worship. Five of them have to do with Jesus healing on the holy day, but now we have this one of where he was actually what they considered working on the holy day. And on this one, he doesn't just attack Jesus. He actually, or the Pharisees, they don't attack Jesus. They actually attack his disciples. And we've noticed that a couple of different times already in the Gospel of Mark. They haven't went yet at Jesus. They've went at his disciples. So let's look at Mark chapter 2, verses 23 through 28. One Sabbath, he was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry and those who were with him? How he entered the house of God in the time of Abathar, the high priest, and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him? And he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. I believe that three words are really going to help us flow this narrative. Number one is the accusation. The, the Pharisees and other religious leaders are ramping up their accusations against Jesus. They were offended by what Jesus was already saying and doing. They were offended that Jesus was healing the way that he was healing. They were offended that Jesus said that he was the one that for, could forgive sins. And they were really torqued with what Jesus said about fasting and the fact that Jesus himself wasn't fasting. Here, here's something to know that one pastor has said, when personal preference becomes spiritual commandment, the seeds of pride produce legalism and tradition. You see, we're to trump our traditions with the word of God. So let's look a, a bit closer at, at verse 23. One Sabbath, he was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. Now, the roads were in decent condition during this time, the main roads at least. They were in, in, in decent, good condition, but it's easier to go the way the crow flies, right? I mean, if we could just cut through open fields, that would get us there so much quicker. And that's exactly what Jesus and his disciples were doing. Instead of sticking to the main roads, they were just walking through. And as they were walking through, they just kind of 
plucked off the heads of some of the grain and they were popping it in their mouth and, and they were eating it. Now, I don't know about you, but if some of my neighbors or some people that I had no clue who they were, they just started walking through my backyard and they were like, oh, hey, look, there's a garden and it's the middle of summer and there's some fresh tomatoes and they just pick them off and start eating them or, or, or they grab the broccoli. I'd let them have that. But, you know, everything else, if they just started taking things out of my garden, I'd, that would kind of torque me off just a little bit. But in this time, it was seen as a little bit of a public welfare system uh, of sorts. And it was perfectly legit. In Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 25, we read, If you go into your neighbor's standing grain, you may pluck the ears with your hand, but you shall not put a sickle to your neighbor's standing grain. So, if you went through there, you could take something out of someone's garden, but you couldn't go through with a combine and, and completely take everything out of their fields. But a handful here or there, that was perfectly okay. I, I remember uh, at the last church that I was at, um, one of the gentlemen, uh, he, he had, um, they, they had a, a fruit stand or, you know, just they, they sold all of their different uh, things. I can't think of what I really want to call it right now, but um, they would ask me to come and help them um, throughout the year, um, especially when it was time to, to pick the, the strawberries, um, the raspberries, and, and I jumped on the raspberries every single time. And, and so what they would do is, is Jason wouldn't pay me by the hour. He would pay me by the pint because I found myself eating... <laughs> I found myself eating more than I should have. I absolutely love black raspberries. So I would put one in the basket and then I'd put one in my mouth and then I'd put two in the basket and two in my mouth. And, and that's just the way that I did things. And, and that was perfectly legal um, in, in this time. If, if you go to Luke chapter six, verse 11, it's a parallel to this passage. We read, his disciples plucked and ate some of the heads of grain, rubbing them in their hands. Now, the disciples, they were upset. Now, Jesus was probably eating with them too, but he went after, or these Pharisees went after Jesus' disciples. Why, why would they do that? I mean, it was just heads of grain, right? Well, here's the thing. When they plucked them, that was work. When they rolled them in their hands, that was sifting. Then they were threshing, and then they were eating, and then they were tossing it, and that was threshing. And, and so all of these were against the law. They went to back to Exodus chapter 34, verse 21. It says there, six days you shall, you shall work, but on the seventh day you shall rest. In plowing time and in harvest, you shall rest. Now, while we don't see that Jesus was eating, he probably was. The Pharisees hold Jesus responsible for the behavior of his followers. Look at verse 24. It says, and the Pharisees were saying to him, look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? I get the sense that these religious leaders were just following Jesus around wherever he went, and they were playing the gotcha game, that they were trying to trap Jesus everywhere he went. And we see that with the word look. Look at what your disciples are doing and have been doing. It's in that perfect tense saying that they were constantly looking. They were looking always for problems. The Pharisees love to ask why questions. We see this in verse 16. Why does he eat 
In verse 18, why do John's disciples fast? They love to ask these why questions. Serving as religious traffic cops, the Pharisees were waiting to write tickets about Sabbath breaking. I mean, this was one of the Ten Commandments, right? Why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? You see, Jesus wanted everyone to know that by that doing that which is good trumps Sabbath keeping. That's really what Jesus is about to dig in for us and really help us to understand. Now, I also believe that Jesus purposely did what he did on the Sabbath just to torque the Pharisees a little bit. I love how Jesus refused to argue at these accusations that the Pharisees are giving and he appeals to scripture by giving this answer. And that's our second thing that we see here, the answer that Jesus is about to give. He's actually rebuking them with a, a touch of sarcasm when he says in verse 25, have you never read? So while these Pharisees love to ask questions, Jesus loves to answer questions with more questions. It's a great model for us. Exactly what Jesus does here, he answers with what? He answers with scripture. We see two examples of this in Mark chapter 12. In Mark chapter 12, verse 10, have you not read the scripture? And in Mark chapter 12, verse 26, he exposes the Sadducees. Is this not the reason you are wrong? Because you know neither the scripture nor the power of God. You see, in verses 25 through 26, Jesus takes them back to an incident that is found in 1 Samuel. And that's why he says, have you never read? Let's go back to the Old Testament. Let's go back to the scripture, which they surely would have known. And he takes them back to 1 Samuel chapter 21, verses 1 through 6. And, and when we read verses 25 through 26 of Mark chapter 2, this is what Jesus says. And he said to them, have you never read? what David did when he was in need and was hungry. You see, Jesus is appealing to David, who is someone that certainly this, these Pharisees would have respect for. You see, King Saul was pursuing David and David's companions are hungry. David asked the priests if they have anything to eat and they're told that the only thing that they have is what? The holy bread. And that was only for the priests. And they could only eat it at a certain time. But the priests say to David, here, take this holy bread. Now, here's the thing. This was not for them. It was left there in the, the, the presence of the Lord in the tabernacle for a certain amount of time for the entire week. And it represented the 12 tribes of Israel. It was called the showbread or the bread of presence. And at the end of the week on the Sabbath, they priests were the, allowed to eat it. And Leviticus chapter 24 verse 9 says that no one was allowed to eat this bread except for Aaron's descendants who served as priests. But the priests gave the bread to David. Here, here's the principle that I really hope that, that you take out of this message. Human needs transcend religious rituals. Human needs transcend religious rituals. 
There are times when human needs are more important than a legalistic keeping of the law. Here's the argument. If David and his disciples were allowed to violate a rule, then the greater David, Jesus, and his disciples could violate an unbiblical regulation on the Sabbath. And that's really Jesus' argument. This thing that you're trying to say that is a rule, that is a law, it's found nowhere in Scripture. And the point is that even though it was theoretically illegal, God didn't rebuke David. Therefore, how much more is it okay for Jesus' disciples to eat though they were not breaking the law? Listen, God is more concerned with meeting people's needs than he is with protecting traditions. In Matthew's reporting of this account, Jesus' heart of mercy and compassion come to the surface. Look at Matthew chapter 12, verse 7. If you had known what these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent. You see, love for others is more important than legalistic. We have to be so careful. We can't just settle on legalism because it makes us feel comfortable. I mean, having a set of rules and regulations, I mean, that makes us feel comfortable, right? I mean, just stop and think about it. When we're going down the highway and we're doing the speed limit and a cop pulls up beside us or behind us, or we pass one, our heart doesn't start pounding, right? Because we're following the rules. But if we're doing 80 in a 65, and we see that cop, man, our heart starts pounding, and we're like, oh my goodness, oh my goodness, oh my goodness, and then he passes us, and we're like, yeah, that's right, I knew you weren't going to pull me over. Be careful with that, because eventually it will happen. But if we stay within the rules and the regulations and the laws that are laid out for us, there is a little bit of a comfort there, but we have to be careful that we don't just settle on it and we just go, oh, I'm just going to follow all these rules because some of them may not be. And when someone, we talked about this at the very beginning of those observations, if somebody tries to challenge challenge us on some of these, we need to really look at ourselves and say, is this scriptural or is there freedom in this, can we find grace? You see, ritualistic rules can crush our compassion. Human needs transcend religious rituals. I have two examples of this. The, the first one is what would happen if someone came into our church? Let's just say a young man came into our church and he had a hat on or a cover on his head. And we, we, we really went up to him and we said, hey, you need to remove that because that is disrespectful in the house of God to have a hat on. One, I don't find that in scripture where that is uh, bad, but wouldn't we feel really bad if we found out that that young person had a hat on because he had alopecia and, and, and had a reason for keeping that hat on? Another one that I want to share with you that I really don't want to share with you because it's kind of embarrassing to me. Um, and, and it's one of the reasons that I've had people say to me, Travis, don't, don't you get upset when you look out and you see people on their phones during your set 
while, while you're preaching, doesn't that upset you? Doesn't that torque you just a little bit? The answer to that is no. And I'm going to share with you why. One, we don't know who's on the other end of that phone. And that's exactly what happened to me once. I saw a young man who was sitting and he should have been paying attention to the sermon. At least that's what was going through my mind. And as I'm preaching, I kept looking over and I saw this young man just on his phone texting away and I'm getting upset. And I'm like, I just can't believe that that he would not be paying attention when I am preaching the word of God. I was humbled just a little bit after the service when the young man came up to me and he said, Travis, I'm, thanks that thanks for sharing the word. And, and I wanted to let you know that um, during your message, if you saw me texting, I had invited one of my friends to come with me this morning, but he couldn't come because he was under the weather. So I was sending him your sermon and all of the notes that I took while you were preaching. Like, talk about heartbreaking and heart-wrenching. So you never know who could be on their phone and what their reason for that is. So we have to be careful that, you know, my sin is different from your sin, but I don't like your sin because it smells different than my sin. So be very, very careful. And when we talk about all of this, let's look at the application. What's the application? After the accusation, Jesus gives an answer and then concludes with, Two applications. The first is this. The Sabbath was given to serve us. In verse 27, Jesus cuts through the religious rules and rituals to the reason behind the giving of the Sabbath. And he said, this is also in the perfect tense, saying that he continued to say. He wanted to make sure that the people heard this continually. And he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. You see, the Sabbath was given to people out of the grace of God. It was designed to be a blessing, not something to hold us in bondage. We could say that the Sabbath was given to serve man, not something that we must serve. You see, the Sabbath is a day of rest. It is a day of refreshment, a time of refreshment, not a day of restriction, not a duty but a delight. Unfortunately, because the religious leaders had uh, added a bunch of laws and rules and regulations to it, it's become burdensome. In the very next chapter, if we go to Mark chapter 3, verse 4, Jesus asks a question that no doubt unsettled these religious guys. And he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm? to save a life or to kill, but they were silent. Here's a helpful question to ask if any religious rules or legalistic limitations have taken root in, in your life. Ask yourself this question. Is this practice a benefit or is it leading to bondage? Is it a benefit or is it leading to bondage? Number two in these applications, serve the one who is sovereign over the Sabbath. We see this in verse 28. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Now, the title Son of Man, 
I don't have time to really break it completely down, but it is a messi- it's messianic, meaning that it was used of the anointed one, the coming one to God's people. The Pharisees would have recognized what Jesus was saying, but just in case they didn't get it, Jesus boldly refers to himself as Lord of the Sabbath. In Matthew chapter 12, verse 6, the parallel passage, Jesus put it this way. He says, I tell you something greater than the temple is here. Jesus is sovereign over the Sabbath. He owns it. He redefines it. And he redefines its purpose. You see, it's far more than, it's far more important to have a relationship with Jesus than just to follow a bunch of rules and, and regulations. When Jesus says he is Lord of the Sabbath, he is the Sabbath. He has authority over the Sabbath and, and over everyone and everything else. And this really needs to just drive home this point of true salvation rest. Jesus is the only way to have rest because Jesus is the Sabbath. Instead of busily following a list of legalistic rules and and working to be accepted by God, it's time to believe and rest in your acceptance. This is what we read. Jesus, or or, sorry, Hebrews chapter four, verses nine through 11 says, there remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works. Just as God did from his, let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. Have you ever received that rest that you are banking on? Or are you still trying to follow that burdensome list of rules? When it comes to heaven, you only have two options. I really just want you to stop and think about these for just a second. When it comes to eternity, there's only two options that we have. You can try to work your way in, which will never work. You can try to follow a bunch of rules that will always lead to bondage. Or number two, you can let the work of another be your work. You see, we must rest from all our efforts to be saved by our own works. Jesus Christ is the one who set us free. If you want to go to heaven, it's all about following Jesus. Jesus made it very clear. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There's only one way there. Look at it this way. Rest is all about satisfaction and completion. If we go back to Genesis chapter 2, God the Father had worked very hard all week. And on the seventh day, he rested. And when he rested, he said this, it is good. When Jesus had finished his work, as he is about to die on the cross for my sins, as he is about to die on the cross for your sins, in in John chapter 19, verse 30, we read, it is 
finished. We can only find sanctification or satisfaction when we rest on the work that has been finished for us on the cross. Jesus put it this way, and this is is how we're going to end. Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 29. Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and lean or learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. It's time to stop striving. It's time to stop trying to measure up on your own because here's the thing, you'll never measure up. You have to allow the work of Jesus in your life. If that's a decision that you need to make this morning, you can make it. You can accept Him as your Savior this morning. If you need prayer in your life, You can email me, you can FaceTime me, you can call me, you can stop into the office. I'd love to pray with you. I'd love to to help you in whatever decision that you need to make. So let's wrap all this up. Just a couple quick action steps. Number one, first and foremost, receive the rest that only Christ can give you. Only Jesus can give you true salvation rest for your soul. That's what you have to have. Number two, submit to the sovereignty of Jesus Christ. If you haven't fully surrendered your life over to Jesus, today is that day. Number three, set apart a time for worship. Set apart a time where you just stop everything and worship God. That's what we've been called to do. Number four, put love over legalism. And then lastly, before we prepare for communion, who's your one person that you can share the message with this week? How can you be the hands and feet of Jesus? Can you share this message on Facebook? Can you talk to someone that you're standing in line with? at Walmart or Target or wherever you're at, six feet away? Can you take someone to lunch and talk to them about church and and Jesus? What is it that you can do? Who's your one person? And I pray that you still have your sticky note with your three names on it, that you're still trying to find a way to invite them in to be a part of his kingdom work. I'm going to pray for us, and, and then we have one final song, and I encourage you, wherever you're at, whatever's going on, that, that you will take the time this morning to take communion, to put it all at the feet of Jesus, to give all of your burdens over to him and lay them at the foot of the cross. That's what we read from Matthew chapter 11. Let's pray. Almighty Father, we thank you so much for today. We thank you that we are able to come into your house. Father, we are blessed because of you. I know that today is a hard day because we're not able 
to be in person and worship. But Father, I know that you have something great in store for us. I know there's reasons that three weeks in a row um, we have been put off because of weather that we have not been able to meet the way that we would love to be able to meet and share the word the way we would love to be able to share because of COVID and other things that have happened. But Father, we know that you are in control. Father, we don't always understand it, but we rely upon you that you are our Savior. Father, let us cast aside these ritualistic law-keeping ideas. Let's focus on grace, mercy, and love. We pray this in your son's most holy and precious name. Amen. Please rise with us as we continue in our worship this morning.